Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio. In this show, we highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peterson Toscano. Welcome to episode 75 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Friday, August 26, 2022. Today's show is 30 minutes filled with resources to help you with your climate work. In the art house, you will hear about Life on Another Planet, a book for children that honestly and artfully helps them consider their roles in our rapidly changing world. We have a good news report to share with you. Oh, and a really great news story regarding U.S. climate policy. I will also tell you how you can share your ideas, suggestions, and input about our show. We're actively looking for feedback from listeners. Hear about easy and fun ways to get involved. But first, I want to introduce you to a young American conservative, one who insists on having a seat at the climate table. With most conservative climate advocates, uh, my story is not that unique. I think all of us at some point started off not really believing in the science or thinking that it was some kind of liberal issue and not really something for conservatives to touch or believe in. That's Adrian Rafizadeh, a recent high school graduate from California. I really believe that people who start to scaffold and look deeper and look beyond what the maybe conservative mainstream is, that they're able to find what the common sense is and that the science is actually real. I, again, I started out not really believing in, in, in the science. I took pride in it. I loved being that contrarian who would say, oh, well, actually, climate change is not what they're making it out to be, etc. early on in, like, in high school. As I began to learn more about climate science, as I began to have more conversations on climate science, I really started to see that the facts are pretty undeniable. You really cannot deny that the climate is changing and that humans are responsible. When it came to U.S. climate policy, Adrian strongly opposed the first major attempt by Democrats. The Green New Deal was introduced in 2019. It was spearheaded by the progressive U.S. Member of Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC. I think that the Green New Deal was a huge misstep in the climate movement. What the Green New Deal did was confirmed fears of conservatives that climate change is is an excuse for bringing more socialism to the U.S. In a sense, that's what the Green New Deal was. It said, we need to have the biggest mass mobilization since World War II of government resources to do X, Y, and Z. When I first saw the Green New Deal, I guess I was entertained by it because of just how ridiculous it sounded to me as a fiscal conservative, small government kind of person. And then again, it, it kind of reinforced the idea that climate change is just a liberal idea. Even so, the Green New Deal on the table got a lot of conservatives thinking, talking, and writing about climate change. In fact, in seeking to debunk the Green New Deal, Adrian suddenly saw the issue of climate change very differently. For one of my classes, I had to write a paper and I chose to write about the Green New Deal just because I wanted to totally make fun of it and bash it and write about how terrible it was. When I got to all of the environmental goals and saying that we need to reduce our carbon emissions by X percent by 2050, etc., you really couldn't deny that. That's just simply true. We do need to reduce our emissions considerably to be able to avoid a climate catastrophe. 
And that's what I found as I was researching. And I really didn't want to come to that conclusion. But I found that, you know, what AOC and the leftists are saying is actually true when it comes to our objective here, which is to reduce carbon emissions. But again, there was that gap in my brain, which was, well, if they have the correct objective, but not the not an expedient means to get there, then how do we get there? That set Adrian on a quest to find a way to address climate change that also fits into his worldview and politics. Adrian politically leans right, and he is a member of the Republican Party. I asked about the labels he uses to define his politics. One that I would like is classical liberal, which essentially means that you are conservative on fiscal issues and more liberal on social issues. Open-minded Republican is also a good word. Lots of labels that I've used at different times. <laughs> Term Republican, I think, comes with a lot of baggage with it. There are certain ideals of Republicanism that I don't quite jive with, but I think seven out of 10 issues, I align with the party. So that's why I'm a member. So yeah. Growing up in California with immigrant parents helped shape Adrian's worldview. My parents chose this country because of all it has to offer and all the opportunity. And uh, we've been treated very well by, by this country, and we're very proud to be Americans. Um, they, they chose it for certain reasons. You know, this place is the epicenter of freedom and opportunity, and it's just the greatest country in the world. And I really hate to see it maligned so often by its own citizens. My parents are both born in Iran. They moved here in the 80s following the revolution in Iran. And it was really the only choice they had. If you didn't comply with their political and religious standards, then you basically had to leave. There was nothing you could do there. They came in the 80s, they went to college here. They built themselves a successful career and family. I like to refer to them as the American dream because I think that they are. I get a lot of inspiration from them and uh, their journey. As a fiscal conservative concerned about the causes and impacts of climate change, Adrian rejects the progressive Democrats' approach to address these problems. Uh, the issue is then, what do conservatives do about it? A lot of conservatives have no idea what a conservative solution even is, because no one is really proposing that conservative solution that people know about. And it really wasn't until I found a citizen's climate lobby booth at a conservative political event and I got to interact and speak with conservative climate activists that I was able to understand really what I could do as a conservative in the climate space. And I was extremely excited to see finally there was a solution that appealed to my values, that used capitalism, that shrunk the size of government, all of that was really intriguing to me. And my core advocacy has always been that we need to be increasing our outreach to conservatives to show them again that there are solutions that they can get behind. We just need to get out there and, and tell people about it. It was through Citizens Climate Lobby, or CCL, that Adrian became excited about carbon fee and dividend. I was quite lucky and privileged in my introduction to CCL. When I was being welcomed into my chapter, they were all so excited to have a, um, someone who was conservative to, to join. Also, I was able to get connected really quickly with the conservative caucus in CCL. Really, my first interactions with CCL were all either talking to real conservatives or everyone was very happy to have me on board. A lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times conservatives would join CCL and just feel like they're alienated, like they're 
not welcome or that they're just overwhelmed by a lot of the liberal conversations happening at chapter meetings or some of the conservative slander that happens. I can see how for someone new joining who's right of center, you know, a lot of those comments can make it feel like they're not in the right place or that they're doing the wrong thing by being an environmentalist. So I think that it's really, really important that CCLers who are left of center make it a welcoming environment for conservatives because for, for a conservative to get into climate advocacy, they're stepping out of their comfort zone. And you have to be able to accommodate that and make it so they feel comfortable or else they're just going to leave. Adrian sees young Republicans as an important political force in addressing climate change. Among younger Republicans, so Republicans under 40, is this really key demographic for climate outreach. Polling from Frank Luntz found that 75% of Republicans under 40 support a carbon fee and dividend, which is really major. Meanwhile, with older Republicans, it's, there is still a considerable support, but nowhere near 75%. That 75% number is something that we're really trying to laser in on and focus on within the conservative caucus because there's so much potential there. I was a conservative fellow for the better part of a year. What I would do is go and speak to conservatives on college campuses or young Republican clubs in my area, et cetera. But you know, what I found was quite encouraging is that a lot of these young conservatives were basically like me. They believed in the science, but they didn't know what to do with that belief in the science. We have to have a seat at the table. We have to have a seat at the climate conversation and give our point of view. We have to be able to, to say that conservatives want to have their own plan, or else if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, essentially, right? Conservative politicians are looking in the long term. They want to know in 20, 30 years, what will be our viability in elections? The ones who are driving that is younger voters. So if they want to be able to retain and recruit younger Republican voters, they need to show them that they are receptive to what these young people care about. Young people care about climate. Adrian Raff Bizaday is an incoming student at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. You can learn more about conservatives engaged in climate work by visiting cclusa.org slash conservatives. That's cclusa.org slash conservatives. Coming up, you will learn about an excellent book for young people who are looking for ways they can be part of the climate movement. You will hear about a powerful conversation around the topic, what do we tell the children, and about a new climate curriculum for middle school students. Plus, really great news worth celebrating. Stay tuned. Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's EcoRight Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an EcoRight leader bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the EcoRight Speaks. Now it is time for the art house. We have somehow have a misguided idea of what we should be telling children. We think we're protecting them if we don't give them the truth. 
I felt like we needed to give the children the truth, not necessarily to frighten them, although I don't think being frightened is altogether a bad thing. I felt like we needed to have a magazine which was giving children the truth. They were scared, they were, they were uncertain, they were insecure, and give them a way to, to empower them to do something. Because you know children have such a lot of energy and they're, re they're ready to apply it. That's Randy Hacker. I write empowering books and articles for children about the environment. That's my passion. I've been doing it for about 30 years. Back in 1989, in response to the Exxon Valdez oil spill, Randy decided to publish a magazine for children. She called it P3, a reference to the Earth as the third planet from the sun. Many years elapsed. And then I started Home Planet Books because I felt like I wasn't getting, I, I wasn't fulfilling what I considered my, my mission in life, my calling. And Home Planet Books, I began, and, that, and the first book we published, of course, was Life on a Different Planet, which was for teens and tweens, giving them ideas and actions that they could take, ways, new ways to think about how to live on our wounded planet without wounding it further. Life on a Different Planet, a climate crisis handbook, is an absolute delight. Randy captures the urgency of our need to act, along with the strong feelings young people are feeling about the ecological crisis. She also provides concrete steps for action. The antidote to feeling despair is to feel that you can do something about it or feel that you can take an action. And when people say things like, oh, individual actions don't count, we have to get the corporations and the governments on board, I think, okay, there's not, it's not that that's not true. But individual actions do count because not just because they make you feel like you've contributed to ameliorating a situation, but also because if enough individuals act then you've got a movement. And so just giving them something that they feel empowered gives them power. That's the other thing. Kids are feel powerless. And they also, I think, in these days are feeling betrayed because they're getting one message in writing, but they're getting a whole other message in, in the environment. The book opens with words in large, bold letters that spell out, Welcome to the End of the World. Turn the page to see that someone edited the sign to say, Welcome to the beginning of the new world. I hope that the kids who read that understand that the end of the world is not always a terrible thing. That the end of the world is the beginning of something else. I was going to call the book Welcome to the End of the World, and then I got a lot of objection about that. So Life on a Different Planet, I think, is a better title. I wanted to give the kids hope that, okay, here's the end of one world, but it's the establishment of a new and can be the establishment of a new and a better world. What makes the writing come alive, though, is the artwork. Drawings that are playful and also illustrate concepts Randy wants her readers to understand. When we did our magazine, P3, I hired an art director who was the art director on this book also. Her name is Carolyn Brown. She's incredibly talented. And at that time, which was 1989, 1990, we were, I told her we had to compete with television. And so it had to be, there had to be little 
bites of things. We didn't call them bites at those in that in those days, but still, it had to be something that was so engaging where kids could go from one thing to another, even on the same page. So they didn't weren't faced with a, a, a long, long page full of texts that they weren't going to read. And I've followed the same kind of same kind of process in this book. And now, of course, we have to compete with the internet, so it had to even be shorter little snippets. And Ron Barrett, who is the artist, perhaps you've heard of him. Did you ever read Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? That was him. He's a very well-established and and just such a wonderful, dear, dear man and such a talented illustrator. We used him for several illustrations in the magazine. That's how I got to know him. And then when I did this book, I called him and asked him if he would be willing to illustrate it for, like, you know, for the good of the world and not charging me his usual fee because if he's, he's of course, quite successful. And because of our long-standing relationship, and because he is just a good human being, he agreed to do this. And so I, we worked with him to make—I don't know—we must have done about thirty spot illustrations that we dropped in here. And then, of course, uh, we created logos and little insignias, stamp-like things that you could look—things uh, uh, that you could like know and through supremacy and your brain in your head and people and little kids and children, not little children. Shouting through megaphones, things that we could use, like almost like logos, throughout the book that I hoped would establish a unity. I enjoy writing humor, and because I I love humor myself, it was a joy to work with Ron because he also he's got a wonderful sense of humor, and you can see the whimsy that he puts into his drawings. This art is brilliant, but then so is the text. Randy speaks directly to her young readers acknowledges their strong feelings, and then gives them a way forward. You're angry. You have every right to be. Previous generations have failed you and continue to fail you by not acting at once to ensure a viable future for our only home planet. Why didn't they act when there was more time? Didn't they care? A lot of them did and do care about Earth and your future. But a lot of them did and do care more about money. They came. They care more about economics than they do about ecosystems. There's a flaw in this reasoning, of course. If you haven't got a healthy planet, where on earth are you going to spend the money? So yeah, you should be good and angry. Go ahead and stomp and scream into a pillow and grind your teeth and get together with your friends and vent and tell your parents and grandparents how you feel, and then get over it. There's no time for anger. There's work to do, and it's up to you. You are inheriting a badly damaged planet. Get angry. Get over it. Get to work. If you think it's not fair that it's up to you, you're right. But as Scar famously points out in Disney's Lion King, life's not fair, is it? It is an excellent resource, and I encourage you to check it out. Life on a Different Planet: A Climate Crisis Handbook. The Home Planet Books is the publisher. HomePlanetBooks.com, and it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also purchase it on Indie Books. Visit Randy Hacker's website to learn more about Life on a Different Planet and other books she has produced. That website again is HomePlanetBooks.com. 
And while we're talking about young people, their education, and what to say to them, I have two other resources to share with you. In our June episode, we featured good news about a new climate curriculum designed especially for middle school classrooms. This resource is now available to the public. Citizens Climate Education presents Climate Classroom. This is a flexible, multidisciplinary middle school curriculum. It's designed to give students a toolkit of advocacy skills for climate solutions. The 14 lessons are grouped into three modules, Impacts of Climate Change, Climate Solutions, and Taking Action. It can be used online or in person with small and large group activities. The content instruction aligns with National Standards in English Language Arts, ELA, Social Studies, and Next Generation Science Standards. To see an outline of the modules and lessons, access free resources, and learn how you can get this curriculum into your local middle school, visit cclusa.org curriculum. That's cclusa.org curriculum. And if you want to hear a moving conversation for parents by parents, check out the Climate Changed podcast. One of the recent episodes is entitled, What Do We Tell the Children? Ben Yashua Davis chats with Pacific Islander poet Craig Santos Perez about parenting and a climate-changed world. How do I parent in this moment where our kids still are living in this very tight kind of bubble created by us as parents. And I think Craig talks about that really wonderfully when I ask him, so how do you talk about the climate crisis with your daughters? And he admits, I don't. I I know coral bleaching is happening right now. I know the oceans are acidifying. You know, our islands are are more vulnerable because of, of the loss of our reefs. But I didn't want to tell her that. You know, I didn't want to break that innocence just yet. You know, sometimes our parental silence you know, protects our kids, gives them shelter, at least for a little while longer until they do have to confront the harsh realities. You know, poetry has always been that space for me to to wrestle with, with my emotions, to reshape my anxieties and concerns into uh, a piece of art, to, to be creative amidst all this destruction around us. Now it is time for our good news story. Well, stories. Today we have a good news story and a great news story. Our good news story comes from Nate Abercrombie, Conservative Outreach Coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby. Thanks for having me on, Peterson. The Conservative Outreach Department, we are really excited by a few uh, developing projects. We are restarting the Conservative State Team Program where we will be organizing volunteers at a state level to engage in conservative outreach, be that lobbying candidates trying to recruit new people or publishing media through a conservative perspective. The two teams to launch most recently are Texas and Montana. We already have a few existing teams in states such as Utah and California, but we're really excited to bring others on board. If this is something you're interested in, having a a team in your state, then please reach out to me and I'd love to help you make that happen. We are also in CCL constantly checking ourselves to keep true to our self-imposed but very important bipartisanship mandate. And in this vein, I'm extremely happy to have just given a presentation to uh, CCL's congressional liaisons on how to best communicate with Republicans and conservatives in lobbying meetings, tips on how to earn their trust, how to tell effective stories, and how to talk about climate policy in a way that relates to Republicans. 
Lastly, I'd like to also say that we're very excited by a new project that's been happening in Utah, where we are doing advertisements to try to recruit new conservatives um, who are interested in environmentalism, but aren't a part of CCL through online ads. We've been really impressed with the results right now and are hoping to get a lot of new volunteers through this. So thanks for asking about this, Peterson, and back to you. Thank you, Nate, for keeping us posted about successes and connecting with your fellow conservatives about climate. If you are conservative and want to learn more about CCL's conservative programs, or if you want to better understand how to connect with conservatives, visit cclusa.org conservatives. That's cclusa.org conservatives. You can then fill out a contact form so you can connect directly with Nate. But wait, there is more. We have really great news out of the USA. Dana Nuccelli, a research coordinator at Citizens Climate Lobby, tells us about a very big piece of legislation you may have heard of. The Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, passed in both houses of Congress. President Joe Biden signed it into law earlier this month. Dana tells us why this bill is so good for the climate. He also talks about possible next steps. We are very excited about the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the first major climate bill ever passed by Congress. Most importantly, modeling suggests that it will close more than half of the remaining emissions gap to meet America's Paris Pledge of cutting climate pollution 50% below 2005 levels by 2030. Before the Inflation Reduction Act, we were on track to cut emissions by just 27% by 2030, but now the bill puts us on a path towards 40% cuts by 2030. We at CCL are especially excited that the bill includes a methane fee. It's the first time that the federal government has put a fee on a climate pollutant. Uh, it's a bit complicated, but the methane price will only be applied to oil and gas facilities and infrastructure that are not in compliance with EPA methane regulations, which the EPA is currently in the process of strengthening. But the fee will play an important role in giving oil and gas companies the financial incentive to comply with EPA regulations and fix their methane leaks. The bill also includes about $40 billion in tax credits and rebates for Americans to electrify and weatherize their homes. Uh, for example, rebates will be available to pay for up to 30% of home solar panels and battery storage, $8,000 for electric heat pump space heaters, and $1,700 for heat pump water heaters, $840 for electric and induction stoves, $1,600 to improve home insulation and windows, $2,500 for home wiring upgrades, and up to $7,500 for new EVs, and $4,000 for used EVs. As a bonus, these upgrades would not only reduce emissions, but also lower Americans' uh, energy bills by $100 per year. Of course, no single bill can solve the climate crisis on its own, and the Inflation Reduction Act would still leave us 10% short of America's 2030 Paris commitments. And then even after that, we still have a long way to go to reach our net zero emissions commitment by 2050, so there's still a lot more work to be done. And while the bill's methane fee sets a precedent for pricing climate pollutants, CCL will continue advocating to extend that precedent to carbon pricing. But overall, we're very excited that the Inflation Reduction Act is a big step in the right direction. Back over to you, Peterson. Thanks, Dana. You can read wonderfully in-depth analysis over at Nerd Corner. Just visit cclusa.org slash nerd corner. That's cclusa.org slash nerd corner. If you have good news you want to share on our show, email me 
radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Thank you for joining me for episode 75 of Citizens Climate Radio. Next month, we hear from climate action figures who will help us remain strong and steady in our climate work. We also premiere our newest feature, the Resiliency Corner. I value your suggestions, feedback, and ideas for this show. And now we have two different ways listeners can easily contribute to the conversations about Citizens Climate Radio and future shows. This month, we have formed the Citizens Climate Radio Advisory Board. The board will meet quarterly to discuss past and future episodes. They will also help shape the sound of the show while also giving suggestions about possible topics and guests. If you are interested in serving a one-year term on the advisory board or you want to know more about it, email me, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. And we also have a new listener survey you can fill out. It gives listeners an easy way to provide feedback about a particular episode. You will find a link in our show notes about the survey. I'll also post it on our Twitter and Facebook accounts. Or just email me and I'll send you the link. Radio at citizensclimate.org. Citizens Climate Radio is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley, Brett Cease, and Kestin Bozanovic. Social media assistance from Ashley Hunt Motorano, Flannery Winchester, Kitty Zarkreski, and Steve Volk. Moral support from Madeline Perra. The music on today's show comes from epidemicsound.com. Visit citizensclimatelobby.org to see our show notes and find links to our guests. Click on the blog drop-down menu and select Climate Change Podcast. That website again is citizensclimatelobby.org. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education. Mm-hmm.